Hello! Hey guys, it's Arden Cho. This is Seth Gilliam. My name is Kiahu Kahuanui. Hey you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio. I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hey, it's Ronnie Adams. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another. Not Another. Not Another. This is Not Another Team Wolf Podcast. Yes, it is! Oh! <laughs> this is Jeff Davis, and you're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. everyone welcome to episode 74 of not another teen wolf podcast uh this week we're recapping orphan of season four episode six and we have karen back yay hooray karen Woo! <laughs> hi how are you hi i'm good how are you good. sick <laughs> yeah i'm 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 a little little bit sick i i wasn't sure how it was gonna sound but we'll see how we go uh hopefully it's not too noticeable hopefully it won't be like that time we were recording at fight con and i oh, yeah. i couldn't it was just the worst but uh but yeah uh karen has put in the notes to talk about herself she's written this statement herself she said karen went to comic con everyone now hates her so karen <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about that before we get into the episode about Comic-Con or how everybody hates me? Ah, uh, both, either. What the fuck? Yeah, so I did just get back from Comic-Con uh, a couple of days ago, and it was amazing. It was even better than last year. Did lots of Teen Wolf things, which was really cool. Uh, went to the panel, interviewed the cast at roundtables, went through a signing line, got to see their booth. They had a booth for the first time this year. Oh, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and got one of the B-series that they were handing out. So that's super cool. And, yeah, everyone just hates me because I was there and they weren't. But I brought presents back for everybody, so you no guys one, can't hate me. No one hates you, really. I said last <laughs> week when I, we were recording with Donya, I said, you know, if it was anyone else but Karen, I would hate them. But you can't hate her, Karen because she's too cute. Um, so, no, because you're not a kind of braggy person, uh, you know, so it's it's fine. It's all good. We're happy that you got to go. And, yeah, I mean, have you released the articles from the roundtables yet? Yeah, everything went up pretty immediately. Uh, the next day, I think I, in the morning, I finally got everything out. So, yeah, all the, the new information is out there on Hypeable. Just search down those uh, articles. We could probably link to them in the show notes. Not, I don't think there was anything too earth-shattering uh, that was released. But, I mean, the mid-season trailer was pretty incredible. I got goosebumps watching it in, you know, Ballroom 20 with, like, 4,000 other people and... It was just absolutely insane. It, it looked like a movie trailer. It was so good. That's exciting. So, yes, I mean, at the roundtables, who did you specifically get to, to speak to? Who was there? 
I got to talk to everybody. So Jeff, Dylan, both Dylans actually, both Tyler's, Holland, and Jr. showed up, and Shelley. Okay. Yeah, I know that uh, Jr. and and Hecklin had their roundtables together, which oh. seems to have been amusing. <laughs> they were they were amazing. They were so good. <laughs> like they sat down. And Hecklin was like, I apologize in advance for this interview. And then JR sits down. He's like, you're apologizing already? <laughs> and Hecklin was like, yeah. And JR was like, oh, it's okay. You took your medication. We'll be fine. Oh my <laughs> they were God. just, they kept going back and forth. Like, we didn't even get through that many questions with them because they were just being incredible and amazing. And nobody wanted to stop their little stand-up routine. Oh, good times. Oh, dear. Oh, Karen, hobnobbing with the rich and famous. That's fine. <laughs> uh, okay, well, very quickly, what else was the highlight of Comic for you, of Comic Con for you besides from Teen Wolf? Um, well, I mean, this is Teen Wolf related, but I got to do that trivia game against Jeff yeah. for the the Teen Wolf trivia, and I lost, but it's okay because it was a really close game, and I I'm pretty know. proud. I don't know. I think that if they'd given you that question. You should have won. Um, I don't. I don't know. the The question I'm assuming you're referring to is the one about which one who was in Derek's pack first. And was the question that, who was in his pack, or was it who did he yes. fight? No, it was who was in his pack. And so I think okay. that's where I was getting confused because I picked Jackson, not Isaac. Yeah. Uh. So. So, I mean, it was okay. I, I'm okay losing by one point. I thought I did pretty well. I was really afraid going into it that I wouldn't know anything. Uh, and I was whining to these guys for, like, a few days. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, what if I lose horribly? But, no, it was fine. That was lots of fun. And um, I I also did a lot of Constantine stuff because I think I'm going to be covering it in the fall for Hypable. So I got to see the pilot, got to do like a little Constantine experience, got to interview the cast. And that was really fun. They're all super excited to be part of the show. And Donnie and I had a lot of fun coming up with questions for that because she's a fan of the comic Hellblazer. Mm -hmm. So that was that was another pretty big highlight for me. Okay, cool. Also, sorry to keep talking about this, but I saw the Maze Runner. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, no big deal. How did I forget about that? Yeah, how was that? Um, It was really good, and I'm trying my hardest to be really objective and think about it as, you know, other people who aren't huge fans of, like, Dylan or who, you know, maybe haven't read the book or something like that, but I think anyway that it was a genuinely good movie. And if you guys are familiar with the concept, the maze is absolutely terrifying and really suspenseful and just so good. Cool. Seems legit. Uh, that When's that going to be coming out in cinemas? September 19th, okay. I believe. So. Not too far away, not too soon. No, ha not too bad. Has it had a proper premiere? Like, was this the was this the premiere, or was this like an advance screening? Like, have they had their red carpet premiere of this or anything? I don't think so because the day before I saw it was the first day that James Dashner 
the author saw it. So I don't think there's been an actual premiere yet. I think this was an advanced screening to sort of like test the audiences, see what they reacted to, that sort of thing. Well, then, that's cool. Yeah. <sighs> well, that was nice. Good for you, Karen. <laughs> Whatever. That's fine. And, uh, <laughs> and you got to see everyone at the signing the bestiary uh, book. How does that? How does that look? Like, how long is it? How? Wh- what is it? Ex- how? Is it like a little magazine, or what's it contain? Um. Yeah. It's a, a like a soft cover booklet. It's like a standard size book. I think maybe a little bit bigger. Um. It doesn't have that many pages. Like probably I don't know ten to fifteen pages. But it looks really nice. And one of the first int- uh, images is like this Vitruvian man werewolf image, ah. and I just like that's really exciting to me. So that's cool. I haven't actually sat down and like gone through it and read it yet. But I flipped through the and looked at the images, and it looks really neat. So I think they did a really great job, actually, uh, having this artist come up with, like, this little thing to give out at Comic-Con. Yeah, it's cool. Hopefully we get to, to see one at some point or, uh, or anything like that. It will be, uh, yeah, I, I have not, I've seen a few pictures, but not, yeah, not the whole thing. So hopefully it'll be good. Any interesting facts in there that was, like, stuff we didn't know from the show, like, just from you flipping through or? Uh, not that I noticed. I I remember seeing something about, I think it was like bitten werewolves versus, oh no, it was different, different types of alphas or something. Um, and it was, there was terminology that we hadn't really heard before. So okay. I'll be interested to, to look at that and study it a little bit more. Okay, cool. Well, that's our report from Karen at Comic-Con. If you'd like to, uh, talk about that with her at any point or if you'd like to talk about the upcoming episode uh that we're about to chat about or any theories or anything like that you can reach us karen or myself or any of the other girls on our twitter which is natw podcast and our email which is natw podcast at gmail.com or tumblr not another teen wolf podcast dot you can also comment on the Hyperbole page for this podcast or just any of our personal Twitters as well. Uh, I'm really struggling with the bees, Karen. Like, I'm, I don't know if you can hear that, but, uh, yeah, I sound <laughs> a little bit ridiculous. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, all right. So in terms of favorite quotes this week, Karen, I ended up going ahead with a bit more of a serious one. But I did just want to give a shout out very quickly to our best friend Jordan Parrish being like, <laughs> I'm worth $5 when looking at the Deadpool list. Oh, my God. Um, and, yeah, Parrish was obviously a driving force throughout this episode, and we love and adore him, and we're kicking Brooke off the podcast because she doesn't trust him, basically. And yeah. she's like, oh, this Brooke's is the first fired. time I liked him. And where are you about Parrish at the moment? Like, Donya and I are full-on, like, don't even, don't oh. even talk to me about, like, anything bad. You know, no, not okay. Whereas I think Courtney and, and Brooke are both a bit like, eh. And this week they kind of like, oh, I liked him a bit. And I'm like, what about the ninjas? What about him making fun of Asian McCall? Yes. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, 
You? My stance on Jordan Parrish is that he's a brilliant human being slash supernatural creature, I guess, and that he, if he's evil, I quit. And I'm not even joking. Like, if we get another Haley Webb situation where I completely fall in love with him and then he turns out to be the big bad, I'm done. I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, I mean, do you think that that's likely? Like, No! <laughs> Really? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, uh, I feel like if you go back and you look at the introduction of Jennifer Blake, there were some clues that maybe things weren't quite right, that she did accept the whole supernatural thing pretty easily, and there was sort of like this strangeness about her right from the beginning, whereas I think Parrish... Unless he just puts on a really good act, he seems really naive and innocent to me. And I mean, I, I mean if he's, a, I mean, he is a supernatural creature. Maybe there's going to be more of a, like a twist to that. And he's going to be something where, I don't know, he has to learn how to deal with these powers. And it's going to be sort of like having con- to control the werewolf transformation. And he's going to be a little bit like less kind or something like that where it's you know it's gonna be like a flip on his personality but i just i don't see him being the big bad right now here's yeah here's my thing i guess uh if he is you know he 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 does seem very accepting of lydia you know and and that whole like meredith plot line like he he, and, and everything that's going on with the Sheriff, he seems to be dragged into this case and just sort of going along with it. And he's he's very curious about Lydia being psychic and stuff. Like, he's, he, I don't know if he seems accepting of it. I don't know what he knows, but he seems to be sort of going along with it. My theory at the moment is that whatever he is, and I've seen a lot of stuff going around about this phoenix thing, and I'm like, a phoenix is a bird, it's not a person. But I understand <laughs> the concept, and I think it could work. Uh, like a phoenix person what if he doesn't know that he's like supernatural because every time he sort of comes back say he say it is a phoenix person i I can't call him a phoenix a phoenix is a fucking bird sorry (laughs) (laughs) it's not like oh a werewolf is it like a wolf or like a kitsune a kitsune is a thing it's not a fox like it's 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 a it's a it's a human, like a humanoid spirit. A phoenix is not a person; it's a bird. Um, it would be like saying, "Oh, he's a unicorn." Uh, uh, but okay, say he's a phoenix person, and say his whole thing is that he is kind of impervious to fire, and that that's why he was on the bomb squad in the army because he is like, you know, he gets if he gets blown up or whatever, he he doesn't die maybe it's very like steve rogers self-sacrificing like i'll do that job so someone who's not unbreakable doesn't have to die and stuff like that but what if he is you know every time he sort of raises you know if he gets to the end of his life dies and raises again from the ashes or whatever that he doesn't know like what he like that he has to discover it all over again every time if you know what I mean so that's sort of a bit of an idea I've thought because the thoughts I've had about him so far is that he's probably some kind of immortal more than just like a werewolf lives for really long time and stuff like that or like a kid's name that he is a proper immortal of some kind 
and that he doesn't know about it. So I don't know how that would work. If he does know about it, he's been, like, hardcore lying a lot, so that would very much hinder your trust of him. But maybe he does know, but he doesn't know about all of them, if you know what I mean. Like, he doesn't know, you know, Scott's a werewolf and all of that. So he was like, oh, are these people that I could talk to about this? I don't I don't know. Like, no one said anything. Like, are they... Like, because he doesn't know that the sheriff knows. And maybe if he right. did, he'd be like, oh, I'm in on this too. Okay, cool, let's go. But I, I don't know. I, I don't want him to be evil, and I don't think he is evil, but... Ugh, I don't know. I'd be okay with, like, a phoenix person zombie thing. Uh, Phoenix. I mean, if he comes back from the dead, zombie. That's not what that means, Karen. (laughs) Anyway, your quote, your actual quote was also to do with Parrish. Yes. And it's when Styles says, you, I like you. I'm going to keep you. Basically talking for the entire fandom, except for apparently Brooke. Uh, But yes, it was amazing. And I want to keep Parrish too. Yeah, I love Parrish's like, we'll get to it in the episode, but I love, this is what makes him like Steve Rogers to me. It's not like that, oh, he's like noble and blonde with like a side parting because, you know, that's, (laughs) it's it's his, and it's not that he's like, oh, you're just so good. It's his really underhanded snark. That is what is like Captain America to me, because Steve Rogers is one of the snarkiest people ever, and he just has this really, like, innocent way of being able to kind of really bitch someone out, and Parrish does that all the time. Like, he's done it with Agent McCall, he did it with the horrible Brunsky orderly guy, and it's just, I just love that about him, so yeah, we'll we'll get to that, but... My proper quote that I picked, because I kind of couldn't choose, but I don't really have that much to say about it, except for that it was a really good line, and it's obviously very representative of the character and of, you know, people and what's to come, I guess, was Peter at the end uh, talking about his anger issues as a child, uh, you know, breaking his toys, and then he says, then I got to the point where I realised, why break your own toys when you can break someone else's? And that's really messed up, and it really ties back to, you know, Liam earlier in the episode, you know, saying, saying, you know, oh, my dad told me that, you know, kids who are angry, they either hurt themselves or hurt someone else and stuff like that. And uh, Peter definitely went the other way. <laughs> so, yeah. That's- <laughs> you know, and it really makes me think about Visionary, the flashback with Derek, because yeah. I feel like Paige was Derek's toy, and, I mean, that sounds bad, but yeah. you know what I mean, the metaphor. And um, Peter broke her, had her killed, essentially, because he could. And I feel like maybe now we finally have an answer, not a very good answer, mind you, because there isn't really a reason behind it other than the fact that he's a sociopath, that he just decided to do it because he could. Nice. Very nice. Love it. Great. Peter. <laughs> okay, do you want to go ahead with the episode then? Yes, and I mean, before we jump into like the plot-by-plot details, uh, I wanted to mention that when we first saw the title of this episode, Orphaned, we all got really, really scared, and we were like, oh my god, who's going to get orphaned? Well, it turns out it's 
in reference to the orphans, Violet and Garrett. So how happy were you that one of the main characters didn't get orphaned in this episode? Yeah, pretty much. And I did get worried in the middle of the episode when Agent McCall and Sheriff were in like the, the truck accident. But but yeah, I was like, oh no, it's happening, it's happening! But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was a relief. I have some questions about the orphans in general, which we'll get to, but yeah, I was pretty stoked that no one got orphaned, the main characters. Yeah, me too, because, I mean, at this point, there there are a couple of people that, you know, they, it would really suck. It wouldn't be that difficult for them to get orphaned, because, you know, like, Styles only has one parent right now, and all of that, and it would be so horrible, but I'm glad they didn't go in that direction, because... We got a lot of sadness in season three, and we don't need that crap for season four. <laughs> yeah. The first thing that you've put down here actually ties into what I was going to say, which you said, why did Kate get a tape if she's a supernatural creature too? Now, here's my thing. Kate is on the list, so that is a bit of a weird thing. Maybe she's right. like, Maybe it's like anyone can have a go. Even if you're on the list, I'll still give you the money if you kill someone else. Like, maybe... Maybe that's part of it, but you know, maybe the take, maybe the benefactor is trying to kind of help her as as well as kind of get the killings done. Like, or maybe they're trying to make her think that she's being helped. You know, it, which would make sense, especially if it was Gerard or something. You know, like yes, you know, I, I'm going to try and, and help you and all of that. But then, uh, you know, actually, lol, don't care about you, want to kill you, kind of thing. But I don't know. My thing is it. If she is one of the assassins going after the Deadpool list, I mean, her tape sounded like a helpful tape, not like a let's kill you kind of tape. And we don't know what's on all of the tapes. But, okay, the mute, allegedly human, he had no mouth. His face was like, and he fed himself with a tube. He's supernatural of some kind. They say he's not, but he's he's something, if you know what I mean. I don't know what, a genetic experiment. Like, he's right. some, he's something. And then the thing at the beginning when Kate is sort of asking all of those people, she's got her berserkers, which I don't know how she controls, but she's asking all of those killers that are going after the, the Deadpool about, you know, about things. And and she knows, someone says about the orphans, and, and they say they look like kids, they look like teenagers. So my question is, are they, were they really actually young? or Like, if they're, like, not... If, if he didn't say they're kids, he said they look like kids. So are they also some kind of supernatural forever children or something? like? Forever children. Like, that's actually the name of... No. <laughs> um, that's a good question. We actually had somebody on Twitter ask if they were really freshmen or if they were just pretending to be freshmen. And I think that that line might have been what sparked that question. And that's really good question i mean my the thing that i was wondering was who taught the orphans to kill because they've been killing for what seems like quite a while they've got a record mccall knows about them he's seen their handiwork before or at least violets because she has the thermal cut wire yeah you know maybe they are a lot older than they appeared but you know once again they're both dead just like the mute is i'm not sure if we're ever going to learn more about them but i hope we do because you know, even though they were bad guys, I was really intrigued by 
by them and their roles on the show, and I would like to know a bit more about their background. I mean, they could be people in their early 20s posing as high school students, the same way the right. rest of the cast are or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. Like, it, that confused me. I was like, I was really whatever about that. I was really like, huh? But my bit here, I just wanted to talk uh, for two seconds about the tape Kate was listening to, which seemed to be like a lecture on the Hale family. Did you pick up on yeah. that? Like, oh, that was definitely my first, like, thought yeah, as well. and it, it, some of the, the stuff that was being recited was saying, you know, they used their wealth to rebuild the community while remaining isolated from it. And I'm like, are they some kind of, like, Regency royalty? Or are they, like, the Downton <laughs> Abbey of, like, werewolves or something <laughs> where, like, they, you know, put all their money into the local town, but they're, like, the upper crust or whatever. It was, like, weird. And it said, you know, not all of the children turned out to be werewolves from the family. So even if you're a werewolf and, you know, you have a, a baby, it might not be a, we- a born werewolf, which is right. kind of weird. Which they knew before because they said that there were humans who died in the fire that yeah. Kate set. I mean, I was a bit confused. I assumed that was just like a werewolf married a human, if you know what I mean, and didn't turn oh. her. But I was confused. So where I want to see the, the non-werewolf hail kids, like... That would mean that, you know, Derek would be a bit more, like, surely he'd be a bit more accepting of, like, the whole human thing if, if he had had brothers or sisters or whatever that were human. Uh, you know, did, did the Hales treat their werewolf kids, like, superior and that the human kids were like, no, whatever, don't don't care about you? Because what I was saying to Donya last week is that Derek, when we first met him in season one, was really kind of, like, racist against humans. Like, he was really, like, Oh, humans. He's like werewolf superior, yes, to Scott. Like his attitude, if you know what I mean. So, what do you think about that? I mean, just thinking about Talia Hale, I, I mean, she, she's always been portrayed as somebody who was sort of like wise beyond her years. She was a really strong leader. I have a hard time looking at her and thinking that she would treat humans differently especially if they were her own children I kind of see maybe maybe Derek's you know his opinion toward humans is that okay yeah they are physically weaker but you know there's somebody they have to be protected because of that I don't I I remember what you're talking about because he always did seem a bit more like uppity about it but I think that if you really look into it maybe he would just treat them as, you know, people that needed to be protected rather than like, oh, they're not good enough to even be around me type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or, theory, if he's all like the bite is a gift and he's always been like, I'm a born werewolf, like I was raised. But Okay, so, so this is not actually true. But what if, what if Derek was born human and he was so upset about it that Talia like gave him the bite to make him a werewolf you know as a child or something like that like so that he that's why he's so hung up on the whole bite is a gift thing because he actually was human you know he was a a werewolf squib for lack of better terms (laughs) and and he insisted on actually becoming a werewolf that would be interesting I don't know we do know that he is a born werewolf right well I mean he says so we know he right he says okay True, true. That could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making up stuff now, don't worry. <laughs> uh, anyway, carry on. 
Yeah, so, you know, speaking of Derek and Peter, of course, um, Peter seems to be getting stronger as Derek gets weaker. What do you think about that? Is that possible? Is that really what's going on? I mean, in the bit where they're talking about that, he isn't even subtle about, like, smirking at Derek being like, He's like, yeah. oh, I'm getting weaker. You seem to be getting stronger. And he's not even subtle about just being like, smirk. Yes, I am. It's like, okay, radio. And I mean, that scene occurs after, you know, Styles and Derek are trying to hold down Brett when they're trying to, to heal him in Dr. Deaton's office. Styles seems to notice that Derek's strength is not quite werewolfy. And then Peter, like, bursts out of the shadows, like, with his super strength. And it's. <laughs> As he does. Yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, my main thing was that he didn't even try and hide that. Like, he didn't even try and be like, oh, what are you talking about? He was just like, yep. <laughs> I was like, okay, this seems uh, something like something people should be questioning a bit more. It's it's a bit strange. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. I know there's quite a few theories going around, and this crossed my mind as well, that Peter could be the benefactor. I think... It's possible, even though we've technically seen Peter and the Benefactor in the same place, that maybe Peter's pulling a bit more strings than we think he is. Yeah, why would he be doing it, though? And was he, on, was he even on the third list? Yes, he was. Okay. I don't know. My question, just uh, skipping back to the beginning as well, was they straight up, like, arrested Violet from the police. Like, you know, like, that way they handled it completely, like, yeah, she's a person who exists in the world who's done crimes, not necessarily supernatural. They straight up arrested her and took her in, like, with the normal police system, which is not something we usually see for our villains. What did you think of that happening? I thought it was great, actually, because I think one of the disappointments I had with Peter killing the mute was that they couldn't arrest him and maybe, you know, we as an audience couldn't find out more about him. And I mean, in the end, we didn't get anything more out of Violet anyway, because she was like kidnapped by Kate and killed after all. But um, I think that it's always good when they can kind of put in a bit of realism and they can have the police in Beacon Hills actually doing their jobs and, you know, she was a murderer. She was a serial killer. She needed to be arrested and she was. Yeah, it was it was interesting and, and you know, you got to see a little bit of like again Parish and she was like Jordan Parish and he was like Deputy Parish. <laughs> Yay. Uh, loved it. And Agent McCall was back this episode as well to be handling this and he uh you know, he was talking to Scott about missing the lacrosse game and he, Agent McCall is clearly trying really hard, like, which was nice, I guess. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I don't like him still, but I don't hate him. Not as much as I did, at least. I think he's being a bit of a suck-up right now, but yeah. I kind of can't blame him for that. And I liked how Scott was like, I didn't even tell you about the game. It's okay. You're here now. That's what matters. And it was nice that he sort of gave him a little room there and kind of threw him a bone and uh i i liked how he kind of went after violet and he was like oh that's right you don't have any parents like that was kind of a low blow but then again murderer <laughs> so it's yeah. okay yeah oh <sighs> yes anyway um deaton is back as well obviously <laughs> did he actually provide any help in his one i th i mean 
Yeah, he he got the wolfsbane out of both Brett and Liam. He was kind of a jerk about it, but what are you going to do? Uh, he did save their lives. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you listened to last week's episode with Donya, but she thinks Dayton is the better factor. Oh. Yeah. And I, I, would, could, I could buy it as well. I can buy it too, but that would really disappoint me because... It would hurt Scott a lot, obviously. It would. And that that would be the worst part, I think, because my my respect for Deaton went way downhill. And uh, I, you know, it wouldn't really, like, hurt me. I wouldn't really care. Maybe that would be a way of getting him out of there. But Scott's looked up to him for so long. He's been like a father to Scott. Yeah. and. That that would just break him, I think. Yeah, for real. But then again, Styles still doesn't trust Deaton, and we know we have to listen to Styles, so yeah. maybe it's true. I think he's useless, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about uh, Satomi coming back? In a sense, I don't think we ever really saw her except we for that. Saw, yeah, we saw flashback, flashback. footage, but I, I assume yeah. she will ha- be having more. I was actually really, really surprised to find out that the pack, you know, that they were in, that all of those Vaders that were reciting the same thing, I was really surprised to find out that it was Satomi's pack, even though there has been mention of Satomi's pack made in the blurbs for the upcoming episodes. Like, one of the upcoming episodes, uh, not this episode, lists something about uh, Scott and Kira having to protect Satomi's pack. And I was like, okay, cool, we're going to see her again. Okay, she's gone and, and had a pack, like, you know, she's part of a pack somewhere. Cool. Didn't question it. Didn't didn't think it would be the same pack as the one that's on the hit list, if you know what I mean. I was actually really like, oh, all right. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, I've got quite a few questions about it. Like, is she the alpha? Like, did she become an alpha at some point and she's bitten all these people? Or has she just taken in all of the, like, the little lost werewolves or, like, the orphaned werewolves? Uh, and she kind of just protects them in this peaceful, like, retreat kind of thing. Because uh, given, you know, what Derek said, who, you know, she seems to, he seems to know a fair bit about her and about Buddhist, you know, law, because, of course, he does. It seems like she might be trying to do something very, very peaceful for all of these little lost, innocent werewolves. Like, none of them are blue-eyed ones. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like it. And I love the idea of her having this peaceful pack. And, and yeah, I think that in my head, I don't know if she's like the alpha or not, or if they're just a pack of, you know, random betas, but that she's kind of the teacher and stuff of, and helping people live peaceful lives, you know, live hidden lives as we, as we learn, uh, they can inhibit their scent. We learn later on, which answers a lot of questions. And yeah, I was actually really into it. Yeah, I liked seeing her back as well. I mean, not that we really did see her, but I like the idea that, I mean, yeah, I believe that she was uh, the alpha because they kept saying it was like Satomi and, and they kind of referred to her as the pack leader. I get the sense that maybe she was taking in all these sort of orphaned, maybe not orphaned, but like, you know, the outsider types. Yeah, because the people that we saw, they kind of seemed like they were from all over the place. You had DeMarco, who was a bit older, a little shady, and you had, I think her name was Carrie. Yeah. Um, She was the one that lost her hand, and then you had Brett, and I mean, those two 
looks like they could have been a bit closer in age and everything. But even the people that we saw lying dead in the field, they seem to be from all over the place. And I kind of like this idea that maybe she brought these people in, maybe people who had been struggling with the bite and trying to control the transformation. And she brought them in, taught them to control it and kind of became this like peaceful leader for them or something. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that they've never mentioned her or encountered her before like is she based in beacon hills or does she just come come through there or something like that because they seem to have known demarco for a while and you know liam seems to have known brett for a while as well so if they're based in beacon hills it's kind of funny that that derek never happened to bring it up before but you know i feel like toby's pack might have been a good place for Derek. i mean if he didn't love scott so much because you know he's got some (laughs) issues to address and he could just be there and be peaceful and meditate and stuff which i think is is what he wants yeah i mean her whole pack is dead now so (laughs) i don't know (laughs) maybe not all of them if they're gonna be you know coming up in the upcoming episode but they seem to be a lot of people yeah definitely uh, so what did you think about Scott taking the money from Garrett's locker? For the second, for the, I had no idea where this was going. Like, he was like, he told Liam, oh, I didn't find anything. And I was like, okay, yeah, you did. I, don't, I had no idea where this was going. And then sort of the next scene immediately we see, yeah, we see him kind of hiding the money and, and listening to his mother worrying about bills which by the way i know she inherited that house and everything but they live in a massive house and there's only two of them and it's not that sustainable so like i'm not that surprised she has has problems really but but yeah i don't know like i i was kind of shocked by it uh i i didn't really understand where scott was going when he didn't tell Liam, but immediately obviously it made sense but i mean i'd understand if it was literally just some assassin's money who was paying them but it's Derek's money. Like, it's not that I think that Derek needs all of it, but he te- he's technically stealing from Derek. Like, just ask and he'll give it to you. It's fine. Like, really. Like, it's just like, yes, we found the money and we've got some problems. Could I, like, keep some of it? Like, and <laughs> I think that, you know, I, I don't know. I was like, that was the only thing that really got to me about it, if you know what I mean. I don't know if he'd need to be handing it into the police for it to go through an official, like, non-supernatural, like, law enforcement situation, and, and if that's what the issue was. But if it was the Hales' money, I, I would just be like, okay, Derek, so we found some of the money, but, yeah. At the moment, I see him as technically stealing from Derek, and so that's what I'm kind of a bit like, why about, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but you're absolutely right. My issue with it was just, I mean, not that I really blame Scott because they are going through tough times right now. I didn't think about that, that he was stealing from Derek, but I just, I don't know how I feel about Scott potentially stealing the money because on the one hand, I completely understand it. They are going through tough times. And I mean, before I thought about the whole Derek thing, I was like, it did come from the benefactor, so it's kind of dirty money already, but at the same time, I'm like, it's Scott. Would he really do that? And I think it's interesting that they're putting him in this position because Scott always does the right thing. He's super righteous, not in like an obnoxious way, but he always tries to save everybody's lives. He always tries to do the right thing. 
And uh, to sort of put this temptation in front of him, I think, is a really good way to see his character development and to see what he's going to do. And I hope in the end he does do the right thing. But I have a question about that, skipping to the end of the episode, since this is really relevant right now. The lights were back on in the house, but Styles and Scott were counting the money. Does that mean that he already used some of the money, or does that just mean that the company turned the power on for Melissa for a couple of hours? I I don't even know. Like, how much does an FBI guy make? Like, does he does she not have alimony? Like, uh, like I, I don't know. If I mean, if Parish only makes forty thousand, I suppose. Uh, maybe an FBI agent doesn't make that much more, but... Yeah, I would imagine McCall makes more than that, and I'd be really surprised if he didn't have, you know, didn't give child support or didn't help them at all. That would be really shocking, especially since he's trying to be a better dad. Yeah, and I mean, it makes me sad for how much money Melissa apparently doesn't make, uh, given that, you know, they don't have to pay a mortgage or rent. Uh, but I suppose they've had to do a lot of repairs from a lot of supernatural creatures getting thrown through the walls. <laughs> like, true, true. There should be some kind of fund for that. Like, there should be, <laughs> like, maybe when Derek gets his money back, he'll set some aside for everybody. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. It, I don't know, like the money thing, and I assume that Scott wants to give some to Styles for the Eichenhaus bills as well. Like, I assume that's sort of what's going on. Yeah. I don't know. I I just just ask Derek. Dude, just just Derek will give you the money. It's fine. I know they need it right now as opposed to waiting for it to go through the whole like process of like if they are like legally arresting people and all of that, but instant, yeah. But I don't know, man. Like <sighs> Like is it really better to like steal money from a friend than to ask the friend who has a lot of money that he doesn't use? to help you? I don't know. I mean, I agree with you. I think Derek would give it to them at least a little bit just to kind of get caught up and maybe, you know, make an arrangement like, oh, you'll continue working and you'll be able to pay me back or something. But then again, he does have $117 million. I think he can spare a couple months worth of like mortgage payments and stuff. But yeah, no, we'll see because I think that it definitely was sort of open ended by the end of the episode. So maybe in next week's episode, we'll kind of learn more about what they're doing with it. Yeah. So speaking of Derek, uh, I really I think one of the best things that they're doing in season four so far is having people who normally aren't on screen together be on screen together. And that came when Derek and Malia started working together. And I especially liked it because Derek was asking for somebody's help. He knew that he his sense of smell was diminishing. And so he asked Malia to help him. And, you know, in return, he would sort of help her get better at that sort of thing. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was I was into them working together, like him finding her at school. Number one, the look on her face when he's when she like walked out of the classroom and they were like, Do you need to go? And she's like, Yeah, like, oh Malia. But yeah, just her sitting there in class and you know, her him whispering to her and stuff like that. It was really like like I, I really liked that entire circumstance and it's like they don't know their cousins and they're probably going to hate each other when they find out. But for now, I was happy about it. 
<laughs> yeah, I liked that. I uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed. Yeah, they, you know, they do do a pretty good job of sort of giving people a variety of screen time with each other and, and all of that kind of thing. So yeah. Uh, so Parrish, Parrish is very confused as to why he's on the Deadpool, and uh, fair enough. And one of the big things that came out of Comic-Con was that Jeff said even Ryan doesn't know, Ryan Kelly, who plays Parrish, doesn't oh. know what he is yet. Presumably he knows by now if they've finished the season. I don't does know. He, mean he knows he doesn't know up until this point, if you know what I mean, like in the season? I or? was debating that as well, but the way that he said it, I mean, we are obviously talking, I believe, well... I mean, I know, we know that uh, filming is over with. I would assume the other people at the roundtables did too. And Jeff was talking as if, yeah, Ryan still doesn't know. So I don't even know if we're going to find out by the end of the yeah, season. Yeah, maybe it'll just be like stuff starts happening to him in the same way stuff started happening to Lydia, but we didn't really get a name on it until heaps later. Right, yeah. Which is very frustrating, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, so he he's cool though. I, I like him. He's good. He's only worth you know he's worth five dollars. Uh, yes. <laughs> he was so hurt at first. Yeah. Only worth five dollars? Then man, maybe I should kill myself. Uh, that was so funny. Uh, he's just comedy gold because he he's so innocent and naive, and he just has this like. I, I mean, there really is no other way to describe it other than Steve Rogers. That's just what I keep thinking of. And it's just, it's so amazing. He has the amazing. right combination of, like, the right combination of, like, idealism and total bitchiness. It's like... Yes, this yes. Is the thing. Like, Steve Rogers, he's not, like, the great American dream or anything like that. He doesn't stand for America in the way that, you know, the government or whatever does. Uh, and he's not all, like, just you know, boring idealism. He is, you know, he's got a lot of of sort of ruthlessness and a lot of, uh, you know, snark to him. But at the end of the day, he wants to do what's best for people. He he could be called Captain the Universe and it would mean the same thing, if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so this parish to me feels very much the same. Like, he's very idealistic and, and, and sweet as well as also not without that making him sort of soft, if you know what I mean. And I, right. And, but I mean, to me, it really stood out that he was very accepting that Styles and Lydia were just like a part of the case, if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> I was like, thinking about that too. But he also treats them as equals. Like he doesn't talk down to them or yes. anything. So that's nice. But yeah, the, the fact that he's so accepting of these teams, like running the show makes me think he does kind of know a little bit about what's going on, but I don't know. I mean, he's talked about in the past about wanting to always keep an open mind, and I think maybe that's part of it, rather than knowing exactly what's going on, just being very open to, okay, well, maybe there are things in this world that I just can't explain or can't understand, and he kind of just rolls with it. Yeah, I think that he's really curious. Like Maybe it's something he's been curious about his whole life. Maybe little things have been happening to him, but no one has really explained them to him, and he, so he's always been a bit like... Oh, and especially Lydia, he's pretty fascinated by her, so, yeah. yeah. <sighs> now, I wasn't on the last episode, obviously, so I couldn't talk about the scene that we saw where JR was holding the 
little token thing with the Triskelet on it. But yeah. uh, I can talk about the fact that Liam is trapped in a well, and we saw the well on set, which was kind of exciting. We were very curious as to yeah, what they, I think they were literally the well. building it. We were sitting there. We, were, we had to walk past these guys, like, constructing the well, basically, in the middle of the, you know, studio, while you know, trying to get from point A to point B on the set. And we we also saw concept sketches in the boardroom of someone trapped down a well. We couldn't really see who it was, but, yeah, they were showing us who was like, look, here's some sketches. Someone gets trapped down a well, and so this is, like, what that's going to look like and stuff. And I didn't know it was going to be Liam. Like, I knew I knew that was eventually coming up, but I sort of didn't know that was going to be Liam. And, uh, yeah, so that, that turned out. Also, for those interested, it's literally the same well from The Ring, which I think they said on Afterbuzz or something, but it they told us that when we were on set as well. They bought the prop from The Ring, which happens a lot. Like, uh, they, they've talked to us quite a bit about, like, like for example, Kira's bedroom set is – they don't make everything from scratch. You could buy a set from a movie and just have that installed, if you know what I mean. So I think Kira's bedroom is from some other movie. I can't remember what – you know, they obviously put different sheets and different furniture and stuff, but you could buy the basics of a set or a prop from a different uh, film. And I don't know where the set, you know, how, how many places this well from the ring has been circulating to, but it's it's the same one from Samara and the ring, the horror movie. So that's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, flipping back to Parrish, because we should always do that, uh, he basically blackmails Brunsky and it was amazing because like what you were saying it's so like subtle and underhanded and you kind of don't expect it from him and he does it in a way that it's almost like he's doing a kindness to Brunsky he was like oh well or you know remember that time how we helped you and he he's not mean about it but he's he makes a point of bringing it up and it is so good that is the Steve Rogers situation yeah anything to me that is what steve does he that is that he uses that kind of like that kind of very very subtle manipulation for the great yeah and and that's why i'm like about people who think steve is like boring and just like blocky and like self you know righteous and naive because he's not he's underhanded little shit and so is parish and i love it (laughs) um but yeah you know goes back to to what you were saying about how he treats Styles and Lydia like equals he he didn't have to have them in there with him I mean he could have interviewed Meredith himself but I think he was a little annoyed with how Brunsky was treating Styles especially and he decided to do it sort of like on their behalf and I really liked that oh the way he treated Styles was super gross as well the Brunsky he was horrible do you want to read okay. out all of the points that you've put here about this this moment? I think you should just read read down what you've written, the four dot points <laughs> you've written about this scene, Karen. Okay, so I said, Parrish blackmails Brunsky and it is glorious. Lydia flips off Brunsky and it is glorious. Stiles says he wants to keep Parrish and it is glorious. Everything is glorious because that's how I so felt. So good. I was this entire episode, every episode this season, I've been really into. Like I've I've really. It just it keeps surprising me with how good it is, which sounds bad, but like like it just it just keeps surprising me with I'm just like this is so good, this is so good, every bit is so good. So yeah, 
Um, but this scene was so fantastic. And, you know, we also hear, like, obviously a bit more about Styles' money issues. It sort of reminds us of that, which ends up, you know, towards the end of the episode with the, the stolen money. You know, I think Styles is getting a, a piece of that pie, if you know what I mean, because because Brunsky kind of harasses him about payment and stuff for his trip into Eichen House, and so we're reminded that he has that going on. So, yeah. Yeah, but Brunsky, oh. man, you know, there are, there are characters that I've hated, but I would say one of my most hated characters of all time is Umbridge, because the way, I mean, you know, in the books, yeah, you hate her, but, like, even the way that she's portrayed in the movies, like, you just hate her so much. And there's a difference between hating her and hating Voldemort, because Voldemort is evil and you're supposed to hate him, and he's he's not really human anymore, but Umbridge is human, and she's not evil, she's just a bad person, and there's a big difference there, and yeah. that's, like... The equivalent for me for Brunsky, because he's not evil, at least as far as we know. He's just a really terrible person, and I I hate him so much. And Aaron Hendry is the guy who plays him, and he does a magnificent job of just... You look at his face, and you're like, I just really want to punch you right now, because you are just horrible. Yeah, pretty much. It was, ugh, it was horrible. So, um, did you catch the way that Lydia actually flips off Brunsky? No, not until afterwards. I'm going to have to Me go and either. watch it. Whoever, whoever caught that, man, very, very good, because it was hard to see, and I think maybe that's how it got into the episode, but I'm just like, yes, MTV, way to go. Oh, he's, oh, yeah. And oh, everything about that was so delightful. The whole... It was, yeah. It was a little vindication for how Brunsky was treating Styles and how Parrish kind of swooped in there. Yeah. So Meredith was in this scene as well after they get into the room, and Maya Eshet is the one that plays her. And she did... I mean, I liked her before, but she did such a good job in this episode, sort of having this meltdown as Meredith because Lydia kept yelling at her. And she just, I saw somebody on Twitter being like, give her like 17 awards for this episode because she was so good. And I completely agree. And it, it made me a little angry with Lydia, how she was treating her. And on the one hand, I can't really blame her because she's going through a lot right now. And I bet she feels the responsibility of trying to save people's lives and crack the code on this Deadpool. But on the other hand, Meredith is in a mental institution. She is not stable. And I think that they would have gotten more out of her if they hadn't been, if, if Lydia hadn't been so forward about demanding what the third key was. I mean, I think Lydia is quite scared and threatened by Meredith. I think that she fears becoming like that, if you know what I mean, because yeah. I think that Meredith is like that because she just lost gra grasp, her grasp on what is real, if you know what I mean. And as I've discussed, you know, even little things like Lydia not, you know, realising that her car gas is actually full, it's just that her powers are kind of making her see that. Um, yeah. I think that she's scared really badly of losing, you know, her sense of logic and control and becoming like Meredith and that she probably takes it out on her. But it doesn't make it acceptable, but that's what I think is going on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. 
a little bit of plot points here. I don't know if there's a whole lot to discuss, but in the next part, we basically see Garrett confronting Scott, wanting him to help him get Violet back. She's being transferred to like prison or, or some another facility of some sort. But Kate and the Berserkers get to the car first, knock it over. Garrett's killed. Violet's kidnapped. Scott's knocked out. Uh, Agent McCall and Sheriff Stilinski are down on the ground, and everything sort of falls to pieces. Yeah, it's it's not ideal. I mean, my, uh, there's a few things about this, um, and you know, bye bye Garrett, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the a few things about this that I had questions about. Quite quite a few actually. The first of all, earlier in the episode, um, Mason and Liam were kind of do- talking about. Garrett, like before before Leon got taken, we got that cute little scene with him and Mason running, and we don't know basically how long Garrett and Violet have been around there. Like, how long have they been lurking in the school? Like, it was long enough for them to have been part of the friendship circle, and long enough for Styles to know Garrett. Like, right at the beginning of the season, we assumed okay, Liam's new, but Garrett is clearly like someone who they know and don't really like, if you know what I mean. So. How long were they lurking in that school? Like, how long has this plan been going on for? Or were they just sort of waiting there for their next, you know, next thing? Or they, they knew something was coming in, in Beacon Hills? Has it been, like, a years? Has this has this benefactor plan been going on for, like, years? I don't know how long it's been going on, but my impression was that Liam got transferred mid-semester or, like, the second half of the year, like, that second semester. And so... Styles probably knew Garrett and the others for that first half of the semester. Mm. Um, and Liam was sort of the new guy, even though I think that, yeah, Violet and Garrett were freshmen. So maybe that explains that. So you think but they, like, predate I'm, him at the school? Liam? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And my question, too, is how how are Mason and Liam best friends if Liam just came we, to the school? We talked about this. I, to, I talked about this last week. Um, oh, okay. Be, you know, because to me, they absolutely vibe like they have an ongoing history and that they are probably friends from before Liam transferred and that the reason that Liam transferred to Beacon Hills as opposed to, like, another school in the county was because he knew someone there. But basically, yeah, you know, as, as we sort of would, were talking about last week, yeah, there's there may be some explanation for them having, like, an ongoing, like, lifelong friendship with family friends or just something, you know, maybe the same elementary school and then, you know, Liam went to private school or whatever. They... Brooke has this theory that they're stepbrothers, but who who knows at this point? I feel like if they're stepbrothers, that they would have ended up at the same same high school regardless. But yeah, um, but I don't know. I I really like that kind of friendship. But as we were saying right at the beginning of the season with the lacrosse tryouts, it seemed like Styles knew Garrett. Like Garrett was already on the team. You know, like that that he might have been a sophomore as opposed to a freshman. And it seems like that, yeah, I guess that the, the orphans were hanging around the school for a really long time. Like, and it, how, I wondered how, you know, how long ago they got tipped off for kind of, okay, so here there's going to be a job here, if you know what I mean. Aside from that, 
some of my other questions about this scene were like how sentient are the berserkers because Kate seems to like control them pretty well and I don't yeah. know why they're helping her or like you know what this we you know we kind of got a little bit of an introduction last season about the concept of berserkers existing but nothing since then in terms of what or why that like they're just there they're there that's it they're, they're just there Yeah, this is really interesting to me because what we heard before between Chris and Derek when they were in jail and they were talking about this was that you you can't stop a berserker, that they're basically inhuman at this point and you need to kill them. Yeah. That's and they're really difficult to kill, which obviously we've seen over and over again in this season. But Kate sort of acts like they're alpha. She has this control over them, like she's the leader of the pack and they're her betas. And I don't know if maybe that's how it works when you're her were jaguar or if she, like, found them and bullied them into following her. But if they're that hard to kill and she's having trouble controlling her own transformation, I, I kind of don't find it easy to believe that she would have that power over them strength-wise, you know what I mean? Yeah, I I was really confused by her control over them, and I assume we're going to have some more coming coming out with with them. Something about their creation, you know, we might see someone start to turn into a berserker given what Chris and and that just, you know, Chris and Derek were describing. I'm I'm quite confused about yeah, how sentient they are and, and what kind of control she has and why they're working with her, basically. Um, my other thing about this was, I guess, um, Sheriff and Agent McCall both being in that van and we, we don't see Agent McCall on the, on the ground. We see the Sheriff and Scott gets out of the car and he's kind of just screaming and I can't tell whether he's yelling like Dad or Sheriff or something. He's just sort of, he may, maybe both, like he's screaming. But this is basically like the two men that he cares about most, like, except maybe Deaton. I don't know if he cares about, I don't know if he cares about <laughs> Deaton more than he cares about his dad or Sheriff, like, how that rank happened, but, like... I love how you said that with so much contempt. You're like, <laughs> and maybe Deaton. <laughs> but these are his, his, you know, the people that he really kind of cares about, so that would have been yeah. rather horrifying. You know, I like it, the, I liked when they got into the van and he kind of tells, like, don't worry, that's why I'm taking you know, Beacons Hill's finest. Uh, and it wasn't even sarcastic. It was like, no. he seems to like, I kind of ship it. I kind of like, I kind of, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of interested in this Agent McCall and Sheriff Stalinsky thing. I was like, yeah, it, they seem to have come to some sort of peace. Uh, and presumably they had a bit of a, a bad time back in the day. Um, and obviously we, we want to ship Melissa and, and Sheriff. But I don't know. I was kind of like, <laughs> All right, Agent McCall, I don't hate you that much, so yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. I still don't particularly like him. He still seems like kind of a weasel to me, but he's definitely getting better, and I'm interested to see, you know, how far they're going to take this, or if, like, right as he's getting good, they kill him or something, which would be pretty horrible for Scott, I think, but, you know, not not beyond <laughs> their powers. They would do something like that. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a, a mean question. Just give me one second. So my question for you is if he did find Agent McCall and the Sheriff Stalinsky, like, lying in puddles of blood, who do you think he would be more concerned about? 
That is a mean question. Wow. I think... Uh, I mean, when he was going towards them, he was yelling out, Dad. I think he... he maybe was more concerned about his father, but maybe that's because he saw Sheriff moving and he didn't mm-hmm. see Agent McCall moving. Yeah. Honestly, I think he would be more concerned about the Sheriff because the Sheriff has been there his whole life. He's very close to the Sheriff. They know each other very well, and I think in a lot of ways the Sheriff has sort of been like a dad to Scott, whereas he's still trying to discover his relationship with his own father, and he's still very angry at him even if he is kind of coming to a better place about that, I can't, I think he would be really, you know, heartbroken if either one of them were severely injured, but just given history, I'm going to go with Sheriff Stolinski. Yeah, I think logically, yeah, Sheriff Stolinski. I think when you're a child and, you know, your dad's there, like, I think that he would have reverted back, like, to, you know, kind of being like, oh, my God dad but I think if he like added it up on paper and he did the like logical math of like who he actually wanted to die less if you know what I mean it might be Sheriff Stolinski as well yeah uh not that that's really a good way to live like tatting up on paper you know <laughs> who you want to die less but you know uh what can you do <laughs> so yeah Garrett goodbye to Garrett I suppose and um then yeah, Kate takes Violet, and at this point it wasn't really very clear to me why she was doing that, but it also honestly wasn't that clear to me towards the end of the episode, except for just trying to find out who the the benefactor was. Was there anything more to it than that, that she's determined to find out who the benefactor is? No, I, I think that really is what was going on there. And, you know, Meredith knew who the benefactor was, but she wouldn't say which was really frustrating to me. And this is where I, I'm kind of like, well, Lydia had a right to be as angry as she did because she brought up a good point that a lot of people are going to die unless they figured out who the benefactor was. Mm. But Meredith, Meredith has at least some control over her Banshee powers. I think they sort of come and go as they're needed. I don't think she can really turn them on and off. I think it's sort of like this mysterious thing that just happens to you when you're a Banshee. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why she's in the mental institution. But she definitely did not want to give up who the benefactor was. And I think maybe she was, you know, worried about her own life or she knew what was coming and she didn't want to give that information away, I'm not really sure, but she ends up screaming and Lydia's ears bleed, which was kind of frightening. Yeah, it was. I mean, a few things I noticed here was, I guess, Parrish, every time Lydia really started hounding her, Parrish was very kind of protective and like, you know, go easy and all of that kind of thing, which was which is interesting. Like, that was something even Styles wasn't really doing, though Styles is not really known for his compassion. Um, but, but yeah, so that was one thing I noticed. Lydia's ears, yeah, bleeding, like, you know, that's kind of, and it just happened to Lydia, so, you know, it must be a a banshee to banshee thing. As we described, we think that there is something Lydia doesn't really seem to have a grasp, but Meredith seems to have given a lot of clues about, is that they can talk directly to each other, that what banshees are doing is, like, she's saying, I heard you, and, like, you called me last season, for example, like Meredith heard Lydia talking about her 
to to Malia or whoever, and then she came to find her, if you know what I mean. And last season, she was like, I heard you calling me or whatever. So so all of that kind of thing, I I think they have some sort of direct communication or, like, they, they, you know, communicate over the dead souls of people or something. I don't know. But, but yeah, there was that, um, that aspect. So I assume it is something that, you know, she's hearing it on another level, which is what made the ears bleed. I, I mean, yes, they're friends and stuff, but I found the way that Styles was kind of hugging her and touching her face, like, very, like, tender and protective, which is totally understandable with someone that you absolutely adore and care about and has been, like, physically injured. But I don't know. What what do you feel about Styles and Lydia's relationship at the moment? Like, I don't really want Malia to get, you know, booted out or anything, but I, I do still see something there. I feel exactly the same way, actually, because I really, really do like Malia and Styles together. I think they're a great couple, and I think they're both hilarious, and the way they sort of, like, play off of each other is amazing. But I've always liked the idea of Styles and Lydia, especially now that Lydia is sort of a different person. She's not so worried about her appearances all of the time like oh my she God. was. Her hair. I mean, I think she looks fantastic, but this season her hair has been totally fly away and just like you know she's not very well groomed she's groomed in a way that I really like like when she had that scarf tying up her hair and stuff like that and her makeup isn't as sort of fancy and stuff like that but she's a lot like just more kind of can't be bothered with this and I I kind of yeah I think it's you know she's got a lot more on her mind a lot of important things that she's putting way ahead of everything else and I love that person that she's become and I I feel like Although I I want them to be friends for a long time before anything else happens to them, I definitely do see, you know, the connection that they have. And I think that, you know, right now, obviously, they still are just friends. And who knows how Lydia really does feel about Styles. But I love this this idea that they can be this close and they can touch each other and that, you know, they can comfort each other and it doesn't have to be romantic. It can just be a straight up friendship. I care about you kind of thing because you don't get that a whole lot. Yeah. And so I like the idea that Malia is still there, that Malia and Styles are a couple and yet Styles and Lydia can be friendly like this. Yeah, and it's just very, you know, you don't see any kind of bickering and all of that kind of thing about yeah, it. It's not a competition. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's its very, like, he still very, obviously very much cares about her. And at the moment, I mean, you know, I don't think Teen Wolf is necessarily going to be one of those shows that sticks to, like, oh, every couple that you had in high school, it's going to be the forever get married kind of couple. But, you know, I think that, you know, if, if Malia and Styles did, split up just because they sort of either outgrew each other or, you know, they were just like, you know, maybe Malia would never adjust properly or anything. I think that Styles is, is very, very cool about her. But I feel like if he had other relationships and then they ended in a, you know, good or bad way, that that would be more of a healthy way to sort of start loving Lydia again in a way that isn't even related to the crush he had on her originally if you know what I mean because that's what seems to bother a lot of people is the whole like oh he was like 
you know, creepily crushing on her and then hounded her till they got together or something like that, which I don't think happens at all. But I think that it was like, you know, if they've, if he's been with, you know, other people and actually loved other people and all of that kind of thing. And then at the end of the day, you know, it ends up at the point where him and Lydia come together. It would really be from sort of emotions that grew during the time that they became close and not even related to his original crush, which I think is probably a, a good thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that would be a truer relationship, too, because you can sort of you can't really love somebody from afar. And, you know, he he put her up on this pedestal and he, quote unquote, loved her because of that. But I don't think he knew a lot of things about her that other people didn't. But I don't think he really knew her like he knows her now. And I think if they did get together now, it it would absolutely be something completely separate than how he felt about her then. I think that his feelings would have developed into something a lot more sincere and less like, you know, just a childhood crush. Yeah. And even if it wasn't now, like even if it was further down the line or whatever, I'm still not sort of against it, if you know what I mean. Like, as I said, I don't want to like boot Malia out the door for the sake of Styles and, and Lydia's feelings. I love Styles and, and Malia together, but it's a relationship I could see having a sort of natural end in the same way that, like, remember how, like, Styles and Cora almost happened and then she went off to, like, South America yeah. and stuff like that? I feel like Malia might end up just bolting one day, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I mean, she said to him that she'd never run away from him, so maybe she is that attached to him and maybe it is kind of a forever thing as well. I think it could go either way. But I could also see it having a, a natural end just because she's very matter-of-fact and, like, and practical, if you know what I mean, and kind of blunt. But we'll see, I suppose. Um, I'd be sort of okay with, with anything at this point. Um, as I said, I'm not super crazy live-or-die for any any Teen Wolf ships. I kind of like, like what I see with a lot of them. But even, you know, Scott literal love of his life talking about like you know having that conversation and being, being like maybe after high school and college we can still be together and not just assuming that that was the case like other high school teen shows you know having the conversation with Allison that was like oh this is like not you know that's kind of a, a crazy thing to think about but I think it um about Allison and even though he's totally messed up about that you know she still dated Isaac and then he is now dating Kira even after Allison's dead. Like, so I think that, yeah, there, there's no be all and end all true love really with Teen Wolf. Um, you know, maybe there would have been with Scott and Allison if she wanted to, you know, not die on the show. But, but I don't know. Like, I think that any relationship could end or start pre pretty well. And I'd be, I'd be happy with it as long as it seemed to make, make sense, I guess. Yeah. I pretty feel the much. same way. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> All right. So switching gears, this is kind of a random question. I don't know how important it is, but Chris says that he had this sort of like jail or something like, I don't know, rehab or something like that to take Kate to. And I was just wondering, you know, what you think that could be, where it could be. Did he meant that as like taking her to the Calaveras or was it something separate where maybe she would be safer? Well, I've seen a bit of speculation about some of the stuff he said in season one, talking about, you know, we don't hurt, you know, innocent werewolves, that like we don't hurt kids or we don't hurt, I guess they, as I said, I guess the code is meant to like also look at people's like 
eyes if they know about the eye color thing and and not kill people who haven't killed anyone and stuff like that but they were still trying to catch them so presumably they round up all of these werewolves that aren't killers and put them somewhere if you know what i mean well maybe there is werewolf jail just for the crime of being a werewolf yeah, I mean that. I mean, and Kate has killed innocent people. She killed that gas station attendant. She's killed other people that we've seen, and probably people that we haven't seen. So yeah. she's not exactly an innocent, you know, creature herself. But I don't know that it, it's not anything that we really have any clues to. But I was just curious if he would take her to the Calaveras because I think the Calaveras would kill her or make her kill herself this time for sure. Oh yeah. I don't think that he would. I think that he would, maybe he'll take her to France and do some like spiritual healing on her or something. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I think that he, he will. I don't, I don't think it's the Calaveras, whatever it is, unless he knows in his heart that he has to have her killed. I don't know, but yeah. Do you think Satomi is dead? No. Not at all. Okay. We didn't even see her in the episode, so no. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, spoiler, given that that little, that blurb of um right. of the episode, I think that she and maybe the, the remnants of her pack are hiding somewhere. Um, we don't know wh- whether she's an alpha or just a, a beta that collected a bunch of other betas and that they kind of have like a werewolf commune or something like that. Um, <laughs> they never say she's an alpha. They said just say she's a werewolf. So I'd be confused... I'd be interested about their society, but she's not there. Um, Satomi is not amongst the, the dead and dying bodies, but I think that we will see her and the, the few escapees of her pack later on. However, someone else is there. Yeah, and actually, as you were saying that, because I don't think Satomi's dead either, uh, I think she will be popping up again, because I think she's she's old and she's wise, and she's going to you know survive when she can, and I think that's definitely the case here. But yeah, Brayden was there, injured, barely hanging on, and, but she is still alive, and it kind of makes me wonder if she helped Satomi and maybe some of her pack escape. Uh, I mean, I'd hope so. I mean, what? I why would? What is she even meant to be doing right now, Brayden? She's meant to be working for Peter and Derek to find Kate, right? Right. So was this? Was she there fighting Kate? Of like, was it Kate that did this? Like to all of those pack members? That's what I was wondering, because why else would she have been there if it wasn't somewhere that had led her to Kate? Yeah, and I mean, I assume that Brayden's not going to die, given that I think Megan Tandy's meant to be in nine episodes of this season, and we haven't even got to episode six. You know, this was episode six or whatever, so I don't think that she's yeah. dead. But I don't know. It was Yeah, it was a bit, a bit confusing. A few things that I found interesting about Satomi's pack was, oh, my God, last week the fandom – hit the roof unnecessarily about um, Scott not being able to tell that Brett was a werewolf on the cross field. Being like, season two, he was a beta and he could tell Isaac was a werewolf from like across the field. And this week, you know, he couldn't even tell Brett was a werewolf right next to him. You know, they should have just been patient. And we were kind of like, we didn't really have any answer for that. We kind of were just talking about, you know, that he was, he could smell werewolf and he thought it was Liam or like that, you know, he, he was focused on other things. And apparently it's actually more than that, and it's that their pack can sort of learn the kind of control that means they can hide their scent from other werewolves or, or anything, so they can just really focus on living a human life, basically. 
which, you know, Satomi was obviously doing even when we met her in the flashback. So that is interesting. Like, what do you think of that idea for werewolves? Like, for, you know, them living life like that? I think that's awesome. And I think it just, you know, even their mantra, the sun, the moon, the the truth, uh, it's something that is very peaceful sounding. And it sounds like, yeah, they really just want to live as humans. They don't want to cause any trouble. They all had sort of their own lives. I mean, DeMarco wasn't the best guy in the world, but, you know, he had a job. He was sort of staying out of the way. He was trying to control his transformation. Presumably, Brett lived with his parents and went to school and just went to, like, pack meetings to learn meditation every now and then, you know? Like... Yeah. And I really like this idea that, you know, okay, you're a werewolf, but maybe as a werewolf, you have other powers or like certain senses are enhanced or you have this special control over your body that lets you do certain things. Sort of like what we learned before where some werewolves could actually turn into wolves, whereas you had like Peter, who was the grotesque, scary werewolf thing and other people who kind of do like the half transformation Um, I like the idea that even though, you know, you have this group of werewolves, within those werewolves, people are different still. I think that's really sort of a natural thing. Yeah. The one thing I found slightly clunky was, like, Derek and Malia being like, where would Buddhists hide? I'm like, do Buddhists hide in a particular place? Like, like, I, I, I loved Derek knowing all of the stories, and I think Derek is probably a secret Buddhist, but I, I, I... I mean, they had to kind of come up with some sort of answer, I suppose, for, like, where would they go. But I didn't quite buy the whole, like, oh, they're going to the eastmost part of the town because Buddha faced the east. I was like, all right, okay, that's that's a, that's a bit of a, a strange answer. But, you know, apparently it ended up being true. I just love Derek the Buddhist, <laughs> basically. I was just excited by yeah. that. I I mean, I liked that part. I thought it made a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't really know a lot about Buddhism or anything, but I thought it was kind of cool. And I kind of want to address that, too, because I've seen some people being like, Derek was never this smart. It took two and a half seasons for him to be smart. No, he in season two, he he knew the Kanama. He said, you know, he's seen a lot of things in his life. He's always been somebody who knows different languages and everything. I think in season one, we didn't get a whole lot of that. But that's also because he was the antagonist of that season. Whereas in season two, even though he was an antagonist in a lot of ways, he started to associate with Scott a lot more. Derek's always been really intelligent and he's always been really worldly. And I just don't want people to forget that because it has yeah. been around in the show as canon for quite a while. He's a total Ravenclaw. He, he, probably, <laughs> he probably hasn't even, he probably used to sit like in the Hale House family library and just read these books that were like bigger than his head like all, all day. Like, <laughs> yeah, he probably wears glasses or like, or he probably wishes he could wear glasses if he wasn't having perfect <laughs> werewolf sight. Like, anyway, yeah, I, I think that Derek is, like yes a gorgeous little little nerd and and yeah i don't think that that's a new thing at all like at all yeah agreed so at this point in the episode violet is dead kate saves chris from the berserkers we already talked about the relationship she has with the berserkers but what i'm interested in is kate 
it's basically been explained that Kate wants to come back. Peter says this at the end of the episode. She wants to come back. She sort of wants to like uphold the Argent family name, but she doesn't want to do it until she has absolute control. That way she knows and other people know that she's not going to be, you know, harmful. Liability. To people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think it's really interesting that she doesn't mind beating the crap out of Chris, but she obviously doesn't want him dead. So their relationship it's a fine right line, now, you know, like Yeah, it's <laughs> a very fine line. I don't know, it's weird. It's it's really strange. Um I don't know what she's at. I don't know if she's like that you know, if the truth is just as simple as what they're saying that she wants to be that she has some sort of misguided redemption quality. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's really, really weird. I, I don't really understand what the hell she thinks she's she's doing. Um, no, I don't trust her. Looking at her now, I, I, I don't think she's a good person, but I don't think she's evil. I think she's sort of in that gray area that a lot of characters on Teen Wolves tend to be in. And maybe she's a little bit towards the evil more than the good, but I'm really curious to see where this goes, if she can eventually sort of live life among people, controlling her powers and not being sort of the psychopath that she was before. You know, if this has changed her for the better or for the worse. I like that Argent apparently has, like, a disused building with his name on the side of it to just go to. Yeah. That's fine. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I can't really work out what she's playing at. She, she feels a bit different to how she did before she died. You know, she feels a little oh, yeah. like her, her attitude is, a, is a little more stripped back. And I feel like who she was. A lot of what we saw of her before she died was her, a lot of bravado, a lot of like, come on, kill me, kind of thing. And then a lot of like fake niceness with Al. I mean, not fake niceness with Allison because she did love Allison, but. This kind of, you know, she, she, the way she spoke and looked was, this is a lot more, like, minimalistic and kind of raw. I don't know. Uh, I'll be interested to see her if she talks about Alison at all or if she even knows Alison is dead. Like, does she even know what's going on? Like, how long has she been alive for? And, I mean, how long has she been running around Mexico for, presumably since we thought she was killed? Uh, and does she, does she be keeping track of what's happening? Yeah, I mean, we know that there's been those two months between the end of season three, so Allison's death, and season four, the beginning of season four, so she's had time to sort of gain this information. I have a feeling she knows. We don't know that for sure, but I would like to see her talk about it too, her and Chris, and maybe even her and Scott. I don't know if that would change things or what, but... Um, I would like to see some acknowledgement there for her of Allison's death. Yeah. What if the benefactor is, is like reaping carnage, you know, for Allison's death? If it is, you know, Gerard or Victoria or something like that, that's like, all of you, all of you supernatural people are responsible for Allison getting killed. So you're all going to get killed too. But I don't know. It's, I mean, it would also make sense, you know, why Satomi and her pack were on the list, even if it's not just Beacon Hills, if you know what I mean, like, if it's not just everyone in Beacon Hills, it's, it would be, you know, Satomi, they, they actually showed that flashback of, 
you know, she she did something that changed her, which was she burnt up Reese with the Molotov cocktail, which then ended up making him into the Nagitsune, if you know what I mean, which then led to Alison's death. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, uh, ugh, I don't know, Kate. She just, ugh, I don't know. She seems yeah. a little bit lost, and I can't buy, I cannot buy this whole... I have good intentions. I want to learn the control and be a good girl. Like, you know, I you know, I can't buy that. Like, you know, really you needed to de-age Derek to do that? Like, I just, what? Like, it just, I can't really understand or believe any of that, basically. But there doesn't seem to really be any other thing to look at. I think she definitely wants to learn the control. I think that she hates being out of control the way that she is. But, yeah, I don't necessarily see it as her wanting to be good. I think that she's she's always sort of had something up her sleeve, a lot like Peter does. And I think that she's got a whole other mission going on here that maybe we just don't know about yet. Yeah, I don't. Ugh. Anyway, I don't know. So Liam sort of manages to pull himself out of the well by, like, imagining how much he loves Scott or something. Like, I didn't really, <laughs> I don't know, it was, so- something happened. I mean, Scott, Scott saved him, but, yeah, Only he was definitely. Only by the last step, he, he, he almost yeah. saved himself. Like, he almost right, saved himself. Right, yes. But, um, you know, Liam is one of those characters that I wasn't crazy about in the beginning because we were talking about this before on another episode about how, I didn't imagine him being like such an angry little human and being turned into a werewolf and sort of, you know, his anger being this big problem that he has, especially now that he's got the werewolf power uh, inside of him as well. But the way that Scott and Liam hug each other at the end and the way that in the last episode, I believe, Liam was like, no, I can do this. I can play this lacrosse game, especially if I know you're there. I love this relationship that they have already, that Liam's really trying to trust in Scott, and Scott's really trying to take care of Liam. This is what I wanted to see from the beginning, and I totally get that we couldn't get that in the beginning. We needed a little bit of progression of the character and everything like that, but now that we're to this point, I'm really excited to see how their relationship progresses. Yeah, I kind of ship it. Um, but, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, the the whole, I mean, he heard him roar from like across the city or whatever, which makes me wonder if the, like the alpha and, and beta connection is more mental than it is physical, if you know what I mean. Like that he, it wasn't really that sound was carrying that far. It was more that it was inside Scott's head in the same way that in the last episode when Derek had him pinned up against the wall, he seemed to be, like, talking to him in his head, if you know what I mean. Like, he was, like, like being Liam, Liam, but it didn't seem to be allowed. It seemed to be mental, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm curious if we're going to have, like, you know, um, werewolves who can be talking by telepathy or something like that. Um, But I don't know. It's not Twilight. (laughs) No, I liked that he almost saved himself but that he is so, yeah, very loving of Scott, if you know what I mean. And it is interesting to me that he, he feels like that's already, and I, I do think that that is actually like the beta connection, if you know what I mean. I think that that is a, a, a an unconscious, automatic connection. I don't think it's just his personality loving Scott, if you know what I mean. I think because he is his beta, he feels safe and supported by Scott almost automatically, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. I mean, not that I want it to be like this forceful taking away his will sort of thing. Like, oh, you have to trust in Scott because he's your alpha. Because Scott's made it a point not to use his alpha powers on Liam so far. So I think that... I think in reality it is sort of true because Liam knows that Scott is his alpha, knows that he's been through everything that he's going through right now, and knows that he has a lot more control and power than he does. So yeah, he, of course he's going to feel safer with Scott around. And I think, you know, just in terms of survival, that's really smart because Scott is, he's pretty tough and uh, he definitely deserves the respect that he's getting from Liam. Mm. I mean, if it was me, I might still be mad that he bit me in the first place. But, yeah, <laughs> Liam seems to be, yeah, pre- pretty loving of him so far. So. I mean, if I had to choose death or werewolf, I think I'd pick werewolf. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> but speaking of death, Derek's the last cipher, and apparently this means he's going to die, according to Lydia and Styles, who figured out that, you know, she's predicting the last name, and that prediction means that he's going to die. So that's kind of troubling. Although, as I think it was Danya pointed out, it's not in a season of Teen Wolf if Derek's not almost going to die. Yeah, that was a for real. In yeah. A that he get, he gets sense. almost dead a lot of times. Yes. And <sighs> so... The list is revealed, and we see Liam and Meredith on the list, which I was curious to know if Liam was going to be on there since he's such a new werewolf. So obviously well, this thing I was saying to Donna last week, are you familiar with the Hogwarts quill? It's a piece of hog. It's a piece of canon yeah. in Harry Potter that's not actually in the books, but it writes down the name of every magical child born as it's born, if you know what I mean. So McGonagall knows, like, to contact the Muggle-born people. Maybe someone has, like, a Beacon Hills magic thing that tells them when a new supernatural comes in, if you know what I mean, that uh, even if it's brand new or whatever. That's interesting. I don't Hmm. think so. I don't think that's actually accurate. But, uh, no, someone has to be watching them pretty closely to know Liam's involved, unless it's something automated, if you know what I mean. Or if somebody, or maybe it's a Banshee, well, I don't know if Banshees be able to tell that, or like a psychic or something that can sort of, like, that person's power is knowing supernatural creatures. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But who else is on there? A bunch of other people? I don't know. Yeah. Presumably all the people we don't know are like Satomi's pack, and there's no more Wendigos. Yeah. There's, we have a full list here. Yeah. Um, which we'll link to in the show notes. But yeah, I think the ones that we were really looking at were Meredith, Peter, and uh, Liam for this last one. <sighs> yeah, good times, good times. Um, so do, do you sort of want to go on to the next bit? Because I'm, I'm mad at Brooke about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, the the actual plot point, which was that Meredith killed herself, uh, which I was really, really disappointed in, um, not only because she killed herself or, you know, obviously that's what we've been told. We don't know if that's the whole truth, uh, but also because Meredith was a really interesting character. She was a banshee. She was one of the people that Lydia, the only other person that Lydia could learn from in terms of the banshee powers, even though that wasn't going to swimmingly. But I was really bummed that she died. And my main question was, 
was this preemptive? Did she know that she was on the list, knew that somebody would be coming after her, and instead of being killed by somebody else in probably a very painful way, decided to take her own life? I don't know. I mean, I didn't think about it from a preemptive point of view. I, I thought about it maybe maybe if she knows the benefactor, then there's some sort of reciprocal thing there, and it was like, oh kind of forcing her to deconstruct, if you know what I mean, like forcing her to, you know, make herself not give any more information. I'm looking at this completed list, and Peter is not on it. Yeah, I was looking at that too, and now I'm like, wait a second, I swear I saw his name. Maybe there's a mistake in this one. I don't know. If Peter's not on it, then that's definitely some shady, shady stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's... Hello, like big giant arrows pointing at him, like flashing neon, etc. But yeah, it's, yeah, Peter does not appear to be on this list, so that's fine. Um, They've also listed um, Satomi as an alpha werewolf as well. I don't know if there's been any confirmation that she was Satomi. She was an alpha, but given that she's worth 10 million you know she she very well may be or at least the leader of her pack it'll make sense if she is an alpha but you know we last saw her as a beta who had never uh, killed anyone like a yellow-eyed beta until she kind of threw that thing you know killed an agitsune with nushiko so who knows what's happened in that 70 years but you know if she wants peace then it seems a bit weird that she would kill an alpha to get power if you know what i mean unless someone came after her anyway i'm sure we'll see more about her soon um, um, Peter does not I, appear to be on this list, and they have added it up to 117 million, correct? Right. So, and I'm looking at another person who put together a list. Peter's not on this list either, but the mute went after him. Hmm. So what's going on? Was the mute looking for Derek, and he just Peter happened to be in the way, or like? Well, I mean, the thing is, the mute sort of attacked him unknowingly like peter wasn't confronting him he wasn't confronting peter he was just laying lying in wait for derek maybe but that wouldn't if he's not getting paid to kill peter why would he even bother going after peter especially since he ended up losing like peter survived so i don't know uh Somebody confirm with us that Peter's definitely not on any of these lists because I'm I'm really confused now. I don't know either. I'm confused as to why some of the beta werewolves are worth more than the other. Like Liam, who's a brand new werewolf, worth three million, and then a bunch of people who aren't identified but maybe betas as well. Like I assume a lot of these people are like the dead people from Satomi's pack are all 1 million, and then you go down to 500,000, then 250,000. You know, if it's just, like, a power thing, or, like, for example, Liam belongs to Scott, so he'll be, like, harder to kill because he's better protected. So, I don't know. That was my guess. Yeah. That it had to do with Scott. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway. But anyway, what Brooke was saying was... Brooke would like to make it known that she's incredibly suspicious about this death, meaning Meredith's death, and she's side-eyeing Parrish hardcore. Also, even if it isn't Parrish, this death is still super fishy. Remember last season that as soon as Style showed up, someone hung themselves? Yeah. Which I think that is a really interesting point, that, you know, somebody else died in the same way when Styles went to Eichenhaus, because that's definitely true. But shame on you, Brooke. Shame on you for side-eyeing Parrish. She seriously thinks Parrish went in there and 
killed her or had her killed. Wow. I don't know. But if that ends up being wrong. true, I'm going to be mad. But God, <laughs> what a way to think. God, what a miserable thing to do to yourself, Brooklyn. Like, ugh. We love um, you, Brooke. But no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nah. So, end of the episode, uh, we get a short scene between Scott and Styles. They still have the bag of money. They find a tape inside of it. Presumably, they're going to listen to it, and maybe this will give them a clue as to the benefactor. We talked about this before. We're not sure if Scott already spent the money since the lights were back on or what was going on there. But I think them finding the tape is really interesting, and I hope that um, I'd be really curious not only to hear the information that's on it, like the information that was on Kate's, you know, what kind of thing it's going to be saying, but if it's a voice we recognize, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really recognize the one in the first, you know, the no. Kate was listening to, but yeah, no. I mean, at the money thing, I don't even know at the moment. Who still uses a cassette? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Didn't- it was was it Joe Wagner or somebody on Wolf Watch or something was like these are the last tapes in existence or something like that because yeah who uses cassette tapes anymore but yeah I like the visual of it anyway it looks yeah cool. I mean I wonder how long people have been like planning it like you know if maybe they were been planning it since the 1980s or something <laughs> it is a psychic I don't know like anyway. Maybe the benefactor isn't even alive anymore. They just, like, put these tapes out into the and world now. it was like, now. one day this will happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, end of the episode. Kate and Peter team up, which is bound to be a complete disaster. He's going to teach her control. She's going to help him get money and power back. There was a moment where I thought Peter was going to be like, I want what I've always wanted. Thanks. You. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, God, please don't go there. Please don't go there. This is so awkward. And they didn't, thank goodness. But there was a definite sort of, like... definitely, like, face-touching and stuff. Yes, yes. It was a sensual, like, exchange into her ear. That I mean, was a lot of people necessary. think they're Malia's parents. A lot of people think Kate's Malia's mother. Um, which, I don't know. I mean, Kate was only meant to be about 20-something when she died, according to her tombstone. So if Malia's, like, 17 now, I think she might have been a bit young to be Malia's mother. So, yeah. But um, they were definitely uh, being a bit intimate, and I was like, oh, I don't like it. Take it away. Yeah, it was kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that will probably end well for everyone. And, like, how much contact have they had before? Is this the, this, this is not the first time they've met, I assume. Was, like, oh, was, maybe Peter was her in the whole time. Maybe Peter has been, like, looking to fuck over his Hale family because he, I don't know, was resentful of Talia being, you know, a benevolent alpha and he wanted to be a powerful, angry alpha and that he was trying to get all of the Hales killed so he could become the alpha of that and have all the money and the power, if you know what I mean, and maybe that's what he meant about power, and he was the one that sort of helped Kate go after Derek, and he organised the house fire and organised so he wouldn't get killed. Like, this is all a Peter Long game. You know, he knew he'd get all burnt up, but he knew he'd heal eventually. Does that all make sense? Uh, You know what? It does. Peter would do that sort of long con type of thing, but that's a very long, long con, and he... There's no way he could have known that he would have survived the fire, that everything would have been fine. 
I think that's maybe just a bit out of, you know, the realm of possibility, (laughs) but I wouldn't be surprised if Peter's been pulling some strings for a really long time. Maybe maybe he wasn't meant to be in there. Maybe she kind of tried to, maybe she tried to double cross him at the last minute and was like, I'm going to burn you too, if you know what I mean. Like that it wasn't just, you know, that he tried to organize everyone else getting killed, but that, but that then he kind of got trapped in it by accident because she double crossed him but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if he was had a hand in the hailfire because he wanted to become like the last of the line in order to be an alpha and then have all of the money and all of that stuff yeah i mean either way it's really interesting that they're working together given that she sent she set the fire and he ended up almost killing her and basically changing her into what she is now so they've definitely got a relationship there in a lot of history. So I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, I don't think it's going to work out for anybody, not even them. It's it's going to be kind of crazy. No, we shall watch them crash and burn. Oops, I didn't mean that. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we do have some feedback. Uh, this first one is from Tumblr. It's from Anonymous, and they say, Hey, guys, I was just wondering about your thoughts on Derek being the final password. I know they said it's someone who isn't dead but is going to die, but by dying, I personally think they mean his werewolf side is going to die and he's going to become human. What do you think? Uh, I think that's a good theory. I think dying means dying completely, but, um, you know... I don't know. It could be a twist. Maybe he will be human forever. Yeah, I really hope that he doesn't die outright. You know, let's all pray for that. Um, they're going to trick us about Derek dying so many times that he, he one day, like, will, and we'll be like, oh, my God. That, no, like, we'll, you know, we'll be like, oh, he'll be back in the next episode, and then he, he won't. won't. And it'll be, he like, a real, real death. But, um... I don't know. Like, I, I don't necessarily think it refers to that either. I think that the human problem might be a completely different thing but as i've said i I don't know watching Derek cope with being human i mean if he does go all the way to human and then wants to be a werewolf again and there's no real cure for it scott could give him the bite and then he would be scott's proper beta like if you know what i mean that's true he might want he he may be right that like um, as opposed to being this weird outsider, if he if the only solution is him, and it could, we could have this whole ceremony thing, like it was it wouldn't be like a hastily done job, like with Liam, it could be like <laughs> there could be candles, Karen, like and it, robes. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Derek could so wear exciting. a robe and then he could roll up his sleeve, and it would and yeah. he'd talk Latin. Oh, it would be glorious. Yeah. So let let's cross our fingers for that. How about that? Yes. Um. Yeah. You had some feedback as well. I had one yep. from Twitter, which was, I hope I pronounced this right, but their username, I think, is Alpha Huin, Um, And they've said, this is more for Nat, uh, that specifically she, she or he wanted to know. I just wanted to know what you think about where the writers are taking Peter and if you agree with it. Look, I agree with it in terms of, like, I'm not looking at Peter right now and being like, you're so redeemable. Oh my God, they're doing you such a disservice, if you know what I mean. That's not how I feel about him. I feel that this season, he definitely, you know, and many of his actions in the past are, you know, I do think that they fit with what the character is meant to be. However, I personally like 
shady characters becoming redeemable. So I would have liked to see that happen. I don't know if we're too far gone now for that. I mainly got it from the, like, moments of guilt. Like, obviously in the second season or whatever, he was just like... Sorry, the third season. The first half of the third season, he was just kind of sassy and ineffectual, and I enjoyed that. But I enjoyed sort of the stuff where you saw him being a little bit... Like, he looked really, really genuinely worried about Cora and also really genuinely guilty about facing Melissa. And he helped them for lots of reasons, if you know what I mean. And and if that had continued along that line, I definitely could have seen that story. But right now, he just seems to be hanging around, not even being that helpful. And I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, it would make a lot of sense for him to be redeemed now. And people definitely hating on him now more than ever but I think there was a point where they could have gone one way with him and they chose to go the other and that will always disappoint me a bit because I never get sick of the like like sassy evil guy becoming good I I just never get sick of that trope even though it's been done like a million times but how he is at the moment I don't really see where where we're going or where we're coming back from that especially if we find out he's pulled off something really massive and horrible in his past like if he was a contributor to the fire or something like that how about you? I, I actually feel the exact same way, believe it or not, because oh, wow. I, I think that Peter could have gone in one of two directions. They ended up taking him in this direction, and even though I'm disappointed because I loved the idea of him becoming a good person as well, I think that what he's doing right now is not outside of his character, that this is actually what he has been like from the very beginning, and that the moments that we've seen him have that guilt have been few and far between. I mean, they were definitely there, but that's sort of like not the norm for him. So for me, I think this makes a lot of sense that he's going in this direction. He's teaming up with Kate. He wants money. He wants power. He probably wants to get Scott so he can get rid of Scott so he can be Alpha again. And although, yeah, it is disappointing because I think he had potential to really turn around and be an even more complex character. I think in a way for him to be this sort of really sly antagonist that maybe not everybody realizes he is, is also really interesting and will complicate the plot even further. So, you know, it it, it is what it is. And I'm interested to see where they take it. Yeah. Like, a lot of my favourite moments have been the moments where he shows a slight bit of, like, emotion or um, moments where he shows some begrudging respect for one of his, you know, human associates, like, styles or whatever. But I think that – I don't think that what we're seeing now is, like, wrong for his character. I just think that he could have been something else if they chose to take him in that direction, but they didn't. Which, as I said, I'm disappointed with only because I I never get sick of that trope happening. So, you know – I don't think it's wrong in any way what they're doing with him now. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, is that about all we've got this week? Yeah. Do you have a non-sequitur for us? Oh, I suppose. Um, do You haven't been <laughs> on in ages. Don't you want one? No. Karen, my non-sequitur question for you is what was the weirdest or most delightful or most random cosplay you saw at Comic-Con? And I will answer in return for either my experience at Comic Con or at another con or something like that. I would have to say one of the strangest ones that I saw 
and I, I'm saying this not because like it was weird or like I didn't like it. I actually liked it a lot because it was so strange. Was I saw these two guys dressed up as Scorpion and Sub Zero from Mortal Kombat, but they were like like mariachi band members. Oh god! And they had like sombreros on, and they had like the one guy had a guitar, and another guy had something else i don't remember what it was but it was brilliant they looked so amazing but it was like really random and they they actually found a zoro too and he got in the middle and he was pretending to play his sword like a guitar and it was i have a picture of it i think i tweeted it actually and it was just it was amazing (laughs) good times yeah um (laughs) everything comes back to mortal kombat for me doesn't it (laughs) yeah it does. Mine recently, um, when the year I was at Comic Con, I'm trying to remember some of the better ones, but uh, we did see two guys that were Scott and Wallace from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Like, and they had, but they they had the around their necks, they had those boards, sort of saying the way that it's done in the movie and the comic, like with the descriptor, and it, it, that was funny. Um, so that's that's my main one that I can remember from Comic Con, even though I would have seen five million billion. I always, I always love when people do Sims, you know, like the Sims. Have you seen any of oh, those yeah. like where people do, like, they're just them, but they have, like, a Sim marker above their head? But recently yeah. when I went to Supernova to see um, Stan Lee, I saw, a guy, I saw a guy dressed as Princess Batman. Are you familiar with Princess Batman, Karen? No. <laughs> this is a comic is that's circulating. This is a thing that circulated, circulated around the internet. Open the link that I just sent you. <laughs> There's no real explanation for it. Basically, it's Batman in a pink ball gown and the bat mask. Um, and it's I don't really understand. It's it's just Disney Princess Batman. Like it's I don't know. Someone did a comic and it just spread. And anyway, at Supernova, I saw a guy. And at the time, I didn't know that Princess Batman was an internet thing. I was just looking at this guy going, "What the hell is happening?" And basically, so he was wearing a big pink dress, um, like a pink... He was a big guy, pink dress, and a solid rubber, like, full-head movie-style Batman mask. And I was just like, okay, alrighty then. And I was just very confused. And then I found out Princess Batman was the thing. And it was very, very strange. And that was my, my one of my weirdest cosplay moments. But people do the strangest things, like you know, not just things that are normal characters that you'd expect. Like, really weird, you know, they'll come as, like, a, a particular, like, a car or, or even something out of an advertisement. Like, it's it's really weird. Um, did you see any Teen Wolf cosplay at all? I actually saw somebody dressed up as the original Scott and Styles from the movie, and I literally ran after them and tapped the girl who was playing Scott on the shoulder and was like, can I get a picture? And I, I sent it to Courtney and I believe she put it up yeah, on her yeah, Instagram yeah. if anybody wants to see it. But yeah, I was like, I have to get a picture of these guys. And apparently somebody did a Canima as well. I didn't see that, oh, but cool. I think the Teen Wolf Twitter tweeted yeah. it out. There's a lot of people at Comic Con. I'm not surprised you didn't see every single person. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on from Comic Con, we shall let you go. And next week we will be back with... An episode that I don't know the title of, Karen. <laughs> Why is that my my job? Hold job. on. Weaponized. Okay. Next week, we'll be back with a recap for Weaponized, uh, which should be good, I suppose. Is this the episode that's going to have the, like, 
The Mysterious Outbreak, your favorite uh, thing in the world. I might not come on. I might just... <laughs> I really don't like, yeah, epidemics and stuff like that. So, cool, that's fine. Did we see styles with it all over his face? Uh, not, not all over his face, but there was definitely something. Like, he had, like, black lines and stuff, and, like, uh, Kira couldn't see. Malia was having trouble. Coach had a bunch of stuff on his back. Like, he looked like he was almost dead. Well, I Coach thought he was, was sick dead this at episode. First. Is that a clue? Yes. I think, I think that was leading into it. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Frightening. Is Coach patient zero? Ugh, Coach. God. Coach. Um, anyway. I'm going to be really upset if he dies. Yeah, don't talk about it. I'm not looking forward <laughs> to this episode at all. Thanks very much, guys. So, yeah. We'll, we'll be back then. Or we might not, you know. We, we might just give up, so, yeah. We'll see. We'll get back to you. Cross your fingers. All right, we should, uh, we should go now, and we will, as I said, see you again, possibly, if we don't decide to just give up on life because epidemics are gross. <laughs> well, Karen will probably commit. I might just quit. She'll find someone I'll, else who cares. I'll be here. Yeah, right. I'll find someone. Okay, well, in the meantime, I'll say bye to you, Karen. Okay, talk bye. to you later. Don't, don't <laughs> die of an epidemic before I next talk to you. I will try not to. <laughs> Good, all right, bye. Bye. Understand. What? Hold on. Do you not hear that? Yeah, what is it? Motorbike gag? It's, it's the stupid freaking. <laughs> Go away. It's my landlord's kid. What? They. He drives his, like, four wheeler all over our yard. Why? And it's obnoxious. Because he can. Where do they li- Does he live in the next house or something? Like- yeah. Yeah, okay. he's, like, right across the way. Ugh. I just... Oh. Oh, are you gonna mow the lawn? It's nine o'clock at night. <laughs> really? Do we have to do this again? Every time I try to record a podcast. Oh, my God. I already switched rooms. Let me go back. Uh-huh. so ridiculous. Sorry. Why? It's dark outside. I don't even remember what I was saying now.